Well, good morning, everyone at First Baptist. From our team here in Zambia, we want to thank you for praying for us. God has been blessing in some incredible ways. Look forward to telling you about that next Sunday, so I hope you'll be with us next Sunday morning. We've been uh, going to villages every day since Tuesday telling Bible stories. One village I've gone to, yesterday we saw 14 people commit their lives to Jesus Christ. So your prayers are making a difference. I want to thank Brother George Smith for coming to Rock Hill to preach in my absence today. George, I appreciate you taking time from your church in, in North Carolina to be with our people at First Baptist. And, and I'd like for all of you who are sitting there right now to join me in welcoming back to First Baptist Church and to our pulpit, Brother George Smith. The next time Steve calls, or to be fair, the next time Steve sends me a text, <laughs> brought my iPad, should work, I'm going to check and make sure it's not race week in Charlotte that you have to drive through to get down here. It was an early morning. We moved up that way. It's, it's been a wonderful experience, a little bit different pace of life, and I've I come to I do slow really well, so that's worked out good. And uh, I got taken to the hospital uh, by a gentleman in our church, not an ambulance, and uh, he was showing me around, but they're doing construction, and there's always something happening at Baptist Hospital there, and he was leading me through the corridors. He goes, well, it used to be you could go this way to get back to this room or that room. So we went through that way. And then this alarm went off as we went through the door. And, and these people with, like, tasers and stuff came out. And I just said, I'm with him. I, I don't know. Do you have moments like that where stuff happens to you and all you can really say is, well... I'm with him. You know what I mean? I've probably used this story here before, but you guys watch reruns and read the same verses over and over again, so I'm going to tell it anyway. It involves skiing. My first vivid experience being on the other side of the well, I'm with him, is, is from skiing. Now, when you go skiing, they, they take you up on this mountain that's slippery. And they, they do it on purpose. And you get up there and you have to rent stuff because I don't own anything like that because I don't use it ever anymore. And I get in the rental line and, and I want skis that are this long so that I can go swoosh, 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 which looks good. <laughs> and I get into the front of the rental line. It turns out they give you skis based on your height and your weight. My skis are 36 feet long. <laughs> and you put them up, and you have to be careful. You'd knock out a whole family if you don't watch. So I go up to the top of the slippery slope, and I put on these forever long skis. You can't go swoosh, swoosh, swoosh. In skis that long, there's only one thing they're good for. You point them where you hope to end up. And do that one time. 
You've seen it on the Olympics. They do that one time. And then they go straight down this big hill, and then the hill stops, but they don't. And off into the air they launch. And I thought, well, that would be kind of cool. It's not. So I pointed the skis at the hot chocolate machine at the bottom. That's where you need to be. And all I went was, and we were on the way. Little poofy marshmallows waiting at the bottom. Then this little kid who had stupid little skis going, (laughs) stopped between me and the hot chocolate machine, which was his fault. I had picked up a certain amount of momentum at that point because when gravity acts on this much mass, speed is the inevitable event that takes place. And you can't turn in forever long skis. So I was waving to people, move! (laughs) Poor little kid was too busy being cool. I had enough time to consider a few options. He can die. Then I decided that looks bad on church resumes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can try to, you know, some cool move, move him over, but my ninja skills are limited. So I decided the best thing to do was to hope his mama wouldn't be too mad. And as I went by, I just picked him up. <laughs> How are you? It's hot chocolate. <laughs> All his mom saw was this cloud of snow that went whoosh, and then there's two little ski boots in the dirt. You know, and that's all it was. She thought, you know, what, what had happened? When we got there, his mom called up to us, and she goes, what are you doing? And this little kid looked at his mom and went, well, I'm with him. <laughs> it's like, that's what that's like. Have you had those experiences where stuff happened to you, and it really wasn't your own thing? You were just with them. You remember what that's like? So here's what I want you to do. Look around you for a minute. There's people around you that have had this experience. I'm going to give you a whole 25 and three-quarter seconds to share a quick story of, well, I'm with him that happened to you. Ready and go. This is the part where you talk. <laughs> She's like, I've never been skiing. <laughs> Yet some of you have been to the mechanic because of somebody else. (laughs) So you've all got stories like this, right? Maybe not quite like that, but stories like this. Where for whatever reason, through no fault of your own, you ended up in somebody else's wilderness. This kid didn't want to go eat hot chocolate, (laughs) but he did. Because of a collision with my world that impacted his. That happens to us a lot. 
Sometimes in a very literal way with the vehicle. Sometimes in a little bit different way. Somebody else's life is great and you get impacted by that joy. Sometimes it's the other way. But in all of those moments, that phrase keeps coming back to my mind. Well, I'm with him. About 10 years ago, I had the privilege to work with a gentleman named Bob Navarro. And uh, Bob had a daughter who was engaged to one of our servicemen. And I met Angela Sigmund. Her brother was that serviceman. And I stood before the two of them at their wedding. And uh, he was a couple of weeks from shipping out. And uh, so they wanted to get married. They'd been engaged for a while before he left. And so there we were. And I'm watching Bob's face. And he's the proud father of the bride. He's, he is beaming. And men, we don't look real cool when we beam, but you have to do it every now and again. And he's beaming. I mean, he just looks like he's having a great time. He's not even thinking about the money that's being spent. It's amazing. And I'm watching him as I'm kind of doing the ceremony. I'm just thinking, you know, he is in somebody else's wilderness, but it's a good, it's a good wilderness. Things are going well. He's all smiles. And I look over and I'm watching Angela and she's watching her brother in all of his uniform and his, 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 his dress uh, uniform and he's there and they're taking their vows and she's, she's got the same look that Bob does. And they could both say that same phrase, well, I'm with him. But it's great. Five months later, I'd have the chance to stand in front of them again. And look over those same faces standing over a military coffin after he'd been killed in Iraq and watch Bob's face as he, as he hurt for his daughter. And the, 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 the pain in his eyes and the, and the tears that would roll. He was in somebody else's wilderness. And look over at, at Angela and you see the same expression. It's not anything she's done. It's not anything she's accomplished, but, but there it is. That day changed what Memorial Day means to me. And uh, so I'd like to pray with you about that, but I'd also like to get into the Old Testament about some folks that walked through a wilderness not of their own making too. And they said, well, I'm with him. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we open your word and, and look and see what you have to say, God, I pray that you speak loudly. And that you, you share with us, with your people, your truth. Because we all walk in the wilderness from time to time. But God, I thank you that you're there. And we as your people can say, well, I'm with him. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We get a lot of information in scripture about what happened as God's people arrive at the promised land the first time. And when they get there, God has told them they can go in and they can live and it's going to be great. 
And so they decide to come up with a plan. They're going to send some spies into the land to see what's happening. So they send 12 guys over there. And they come back. And they've got information. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of big people. There's a lot of big people that shouldn't ski. There's big cities. Tall walls. A lot of fruit. A lot of good things. There's some giants. We probably shouldn't go. We, we can't do it. And all the time they're saying that, God is saying, I've told you it's yours. I've told you you can do it. I've told you I've given it to you. Trust me. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, yes, all of those things are true, but we can do it. Because God said we could. Let's go. But they don't move. In the book of Deuteronomy, they're getting ready to enter into the promised land the second time. Toward the end of that book. The first of that book, Moses is reminding them about everything. Which is why Deuteronomy means the second law. He's, he's telling it to them again. And in the first chapter, he gives a recap of this experience. And I want to read it to you. It starts with verse 22. Moses is speaking. And he says, Then all of you approached me and said, Let's send before us some men, that they may search out the land for us, and bring back to us word of the way which we should go, and the cities which we shall enter. And the thing pleased me. And I took twelve of your men... One man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and into the valley of his skull and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought us back a report and said, it is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet you were not willing to go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out, to the land, out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have made our hearts melt, saying the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to the heavens. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there, giants. Then I said to you, Do not be shocked. Nor fear them. The Lord your God, who goes before you, will himself fight on your behalf just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. And then this verse concludes the thought. But for all of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. They trusted in the report of those other ten. And then they would travel back through the wilderness for the next 38-odd years. So here's Joshua and Caleb. They've done it right. They've given a good report. They've had the right behavior. They've said the right things. They've directed the people in the right way. And yet, they're going to spend a whole generation wondering. Not much is written about that time. And I sat and I wondered, what did it feel like for them in that season. What did it feel like for Bob. In that season. What kinds of things did Angela hold on to. To get through. That season. To answer that question. For Joshua and Caleb. I had to kind of go back to the beginning. Because like I said. There's not much written about that period. But then when you think about it. We don't like to talk about it either. We don't mind sharing when things are going well. We're not too crazy about sharing when things are going poorly. 
Because most of us would rather live with old problems than wrestle with new solutions. We get comfortable with it. It's the reason why the toilet upstairs in my house leaks. It's an old problem. I can hear it downstairs. It only requires a new flap. I refuse to do it. I like the sound. You're not quite like that, but you understand what I mean? We get comfortable with stuff, and so we leave it alone. But these guys are wandering through. So turn, turn to the left in your Bible a little bit. Go back to Exodus. Let's look at this from the first. This is God giving Moses some instructions about this whole process. These instructions would have been given. They, Joshua and Caleb would have heard them. This is the foundational piece they held on to. It's in chapter 3. It's verse 13, 14, and 15. And it reads like this. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and, they sh- and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you now. They may say to me, What's his name? What, what shall I say to them? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you. And God, furthermore, said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. And so Joshua and Caleb go through this experience Understanding that it is the I am that is there. Now, that little phrase has some basic, basic ideas behind it that it's easy to overlook. And these basic ideas are foundational truths that help in these kind of times. It's nothing earth-shattering earth shattering by itself, and yet it is. It's simple, really. Um, You can be in a wilderness. You can even be in somebody else's wilderness. But it is the I am that sustains through there. And the implications of that verse are these. First, when God says I am, it simply means he exists. That's pretty basic, isn't it? He is. And he is there. It may seem trivial. And we very verbally agree that God is. And yet, uh, we even come to his house. But a lot of times we live like he's not. We think when we're surprised, he was surprised. And when we didn't see it coming, he didn't see it coming. But God is. And knowing he's there makes it better. Doesn't it? Knowing makes it better. Simple. That idea of I am and my name Forever means God exists, he's there, but no reality exists behind God. It seems pretty evident. In other words, he is the cause. He is the creator. He influences our world, not the other way around. You can paint God whatever way you want to, but he still is who he is. When we're having a great day, God seems wonderful. He's tremendous. He's the blessing giver. When we're having a poor day, he seems distant. But he's not different. 
we are. That's the other idea here. It is his memorial name to all generations. In other words, he does not change. Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi 3 it says this. I, Yahweh, do not change. Thus, the things that God has promised, since he doesn't change, are still applicable. They're still true. They're still trustworthy. All of them. And when we walk through the wilderness, if we can say, well, I'm with him, it makes it better. This verse also indicates a certain objectivity that God has. That is, he is who he is, and my view or opinion of that really doesn't change who he is. We can sing, God is great, when we're feeling well. Or we can feel like not singing at all, but God is still who he is. We get to conform to him, not the other way around. But the amazing thing about this verse is it gives us a hint about what God is going to do. These guys spent almost 40 years wandering around the wilderness. 40 years. Knowing God is the I am and God was leading them. God was walking with him. He was sustaining. He was supplying. He was taking care. Even in the midst of that difficult time, God was there. He came for us. Jesus in John chapter 8 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And God would remind us, he was the I am here and he is the I am in the back half of the book, too. He would send Jesus for us to help lead through. He would send the Holy Spirit for us to help lead through, to sustain in the wilderness, yours or somebody else's. You know, Sherry and I like to, we like to dive. And, and men, I'm going to admit something to you. One of the skills you have to master is the compass. We are horrible at it. Women, for some reason, they'll sit down and they'll aim the compass where they want to go and the needle will move and they'll go, okay, if we go this way, we will arrive. And they believe the compass. We don't. We look at the compass and go, I know the compass says that way, but that doesn't feel right. It's the only time we really feel a whole lot. It doesn't feel right. I remember this rock. We shall go this way. And underwater, you can't see very far. You have to learn how to trust your instrumentation, the rules, the compass. And if Sherry's leading, we will arrive where we're supposed to arrive. But she doesn't always get to lead. We were in Crystal River, Florida, in a manatee sanctuary, dark water. We went down. I followed her. We arrived where we should have been. Then it was my turn. They have places roped off that you're not supposed to go to molest the manatees. You can't mess with them. Only the ropes are at the surface, and so when you're under, you can't see them. I pointed the compass at the boat, took a bearing. Yeah, 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 went underwater. That doesn't seem right. So we swam for a little while. 
Yeah, that's better. And we swam for a little longer. Yep, let's swim this way. I know that rock. And then we popped up to see where the boat had gone because they moved it clearly. <laughs> and we were inside the manatee sanctuary. Not just a little bit, we were way inside. And this wildlife law enforcement guy on a kayak paddled up to us and reminded us that we legally aren't supposed to be in there and reminded me of the size of the fine associated with being in said sanctuary, looked at my wife and said, what are you guys doing in here? And she said, well, I'm with him. (laughs) I hope today, whether it's a good day or a tough day, that you can say, well, I'm with him. I would have the privilege on Facebook not horribly long ago to look at pictures from a different wedding. A young lady that looked vaguely familiar marrying a different gentleman. And she still hurts. She still misses him, but seasons have changed and time has moved on. And as walking with the Lord, he's brought her out of that wilderness and in that picture you can see Bob in the background and he's beaming he's all smiles and he's happy for her he still hurts we say time heals and and it does to a degree but not completely he still hurts but but he's walked with God and God's brought him out of the wilderness I see pictures of Angela Sigmund, she's a, adopted another child. And I watched two of them in pictures online smile and carry on. And God has brought her through the wilderness. And yes, she still hurts, but she's walked with him. And it's a new season. The key is, well, I'm with him. I want to encourage you this morning to be able to let go of old problems grudges, anger, whatever your wilderness is, and embrace the I am. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all generations. And allow God to lead you through good and not so good times. Let's pray together. Father, if I had to boil it all down, there are few key words that make all the difference. The word but in scripture is a key difference. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. There have been little phrases in my life, Lord, that have made all the difference. And well, I'm with him is one of those. And so, God, I pray this morning that that you continue to strengthen me to walk with you. To see you as the great I am, here, present, with, leading. And, God, I pray for the church gathered here. Lord, that their phrase also would be, well, I'm with him, no matter what. 
And Lord, this Memorial Day, as we do remember those who have sacrificed for us, we also remember your memorial name, I Am. And we thank you for what that means. And so, Father, as we sing this song, God, I pray that you would move and be real in the hearts of men and women and students and kids that are here. Let them know that you were with them. Father, you motivate them to respond accordingly. And we pray in the only name worth praying in, the name of Jesus. Amen.